0: Entertainment.
1: The Journey to the Draft is driven by Triple A. Triple A Roadside is their strong side. Make Triple A a part of your game day today. Triple A, go ahead.
2: With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by Triple A.
1: Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a lot to talk about today. Bowl games officially underway, but we're going to take a little bit of a step back, take a look at all of the underclassmen that have officially declared for the draft in this episode. We've got a great debate to get to as well, some mock drafts, but we're going to start at the top of the show with my favorite segment maybe in this show, and that is Scout Stories, Eagles area scout. Sean Heinland is back to talk about Eagles cornerback Darius Slay, what it was like scouting him coming out of Mississippi State a few years ago. What was the book on him, and what are some of the things that we can take away from that projection? We'll touch on that right at the top of the show. After that, we will transition to Saturday scouting where Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, and I will go through all of those players that have officially declared for the NFL draft from the underclassmen ranks. Who are the names that you need to know? We will cover all of that. That in that segment. Afterwards, we will transition to on the clock where Chris McPherson returns once again to ruin the holidays for two of us as we have another debate. This week's topic. Who helped their stock the most here in 2020? That's going to be a fun debate. Make sure you stick around for that in On the Clock. Then we wrap things up with our draft mailbag. We've got a quick Eagles mock draft from one of our listeners at home. We will break it down right here to finish the show. Before we get to that, though, just a quick reminder to jump onto our Apple podcast page. Do us the great favor of leaving us a rating. Leave us a comment, whether it's a mock draft like the one we're going to hit on in today's show, a question about a specific player or a prospect, just a comment on how much you enjoyed the show. All those things, a huge boost for us and make the show more likely to be seen by other NFL Draft fans. So appreciate everybody who has already taken the time to come through for us over on your Apple Podcast page or on Stitcher, really wherever you listen to your podcast. But all right, that being said, let's get this show going. We're going to jump back to a few years ago, Darius Slay coming out of Mississippi State. It's time for Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, Eagles Southwest area scout, Sean Heinlein. Sean, thanks so much for joining us once again, man.
3: Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
1: So let's talk about Eagles corner, Darius Slay. You know, I remember when he was coming out of Mississippi State, um, it was him and Jonathan Banks, the two corners uh, you know, for the Bulldogs that year. And they were both really, really talented. I'm mean, interested to kind of get your memories on uh, scouting Slay and I guess it, Banks too, because it almost was like not a package deal, but since they were both so talented, uh, you couldn't talk about one without the other. Memories on, on kind of evaluating him and projecting him to the league.
3: Right. That was the thing when you went in there, Banks was the, the high rated guy that everyone's wanting because he had such high production going into that final season. Um, so you're really anticipating going in and seeing this guy. And then you walk out on the practice field and you watch Slay move around. You're like, Holy cow. was this kid? He, he <laughs> took your eye because he was a much better athlete in scout size. He was just so fluid. I mean, obviously he had great size for a corner um, showed ball skills and practice. You're like, Holy cow. Cause he had come from junior college. So he wasn't really on the radar. Like, like banks would have put together a couple of years in sec play. Um, so Slay kind of just popped some eyes when he walked out there on the field of, Hey, we, we've got to do some more digging here. There's more than just one guy.
1: How hard is that to do? I should, I should say how hard is that to do, but you do you almost like have to try hard to not get suckered into like, all right, like I know I'm coming in to watch this guy, then not get tunnel vision on just that one player and not miss out on, oh, by the way, there's another blue chip guy right across the field.
3: Right. Um, not so much. I mean, you, you expect to have some surprises at the SEC schools for sure. Mm. I mean, there's guys that are backups that um, end up playing for a long time. In the NFL, Ron Brooks, who we you know, drafted in Buffalo and then came to Philadelphia. Mm. He only started a couple of games at all at LSU, right. but was a productive player when he played. And so you kind of expect that there's going to be guys, there's going to be surprises. Um, so you, you want to keep your eye open for all those guys because, uh, again, they, sometimes they slip through the cracks for a little bit, especially coming from a junior college or something like that. They just haven't found their footing yet. Major college football. That's all.
1: I feel like one big topic that a lot of people will bring up, especially when we talk about banks versus Slay, was like, and uh, it's not really a black and white discussion. Is like traits versus production. Uh, you know, in the scouting world, like, uh, how do you guys talk about that? How how is that kind of discussed uh, amongst you and your peers?
3: Again, it comes down to a thing of like potential. Like, where is this guy projected to be in a couple years? Um, with banks, I mean, you mean, because of his traits and his production that he had in the SEC, you, you kind of already knew what he was going to be going into it. With with Darius, it was more of where is he going to be in a couple of years because he's just getting his feet underneath him, coming from junior college, finally getting to start Mississippi State, um, putting together the production he did that that senior year. You know, it was, it was again the projection of where is he going to be once he works on his technique, once he becomes more refined at the position. How good is this guy going to become? Like, will the production follow the development It'd be the big thing?
1: I mean, he obviously goes on to become a big play Slay that we all know and love.
3: Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, Sean, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon, man.
3: Thanks, Brian. Do the same.
1: Hope you guys enjoyed that chat there with Sean Heinlein. Just a couple big takeaways for me. Uh, I thought it's kind of interesting getting into the discussion, not getting suckered into just the big name guys, because just to give you a little bit of a look inside what it's like for a scout when they go on these visits to schools, they have a list going in of who are the draft-eligible guys, who are the seniors that are graduating. And you'll also have a little bit on the lower on your, piece, your sheet of paper who are the other draft-eligible names. But you're going to go in and have your eyes open and just really t- kind of take everybody in. So when people went in to evaluate Jonathan Banks, who was the, he was the stud corner. He was the guy who was in every mock draft, and everybody knew who Jonathan Banks was. But when you come in last summer, as you're getting ready for Darius Slay's final season – you're going to notice, oh, hey, this this senior on the other side, I mean, this guy is really, really talented as well. And keep in mind, cornerback, That is a traits position. You are going to see guys every single year that get drafted because they are height, weight, speed athletes. Everybody is always looking for those tools to be able to find guys that can cover some of the freak shows that are at at wide receiver in today's NFL. So you're always looking for those talented, toolsy corners, and Darius Slay certainly had that. He'd only been on campus for a full year uh, coming over from junior college, as Sean said, but you're always going to look for those guys with those traits. Now, with that being said, That's why I brought up the the comparison between Banks and between SLED because I remember studying Jonathan Banks. He was longer, he was more experienced, and he was maybe a little bit more instinctive but he was a guy that uh, you know was a little bit stiff. He played a little bit high in his pedal. There was just a little bit of labor in transition. He didn't have all the tools that Darius Slay had, and that's where you're always going to get into the traits versus production discussion. It's always a fun debate. It's never. It's it's not 100% one way or the other. You're because every player is an individual. But I will tell you the way most teams operate when the scouts have to turn in those final reports. A big thing that they will say is, "What can this guy be for our team tomorrow?" And then, what can he be two years or three years from now? You're always going to factor in what this guy can be, not what he has already done. So, you're always trying to project towards the future. And you're, because if it was just as easy as, oh, who are the guys that have been most productive? Anybody can do that. We can just read through the box scores and see the guys uh, that are doing the best, and and that's the easy way to project to the NFL. That is not the case. You are trying to project what guys can be moving forward, and I think the example of Darius Slay and Jonathan Banks, a good example of that. So good stuff there from Sean Heinlein. Once again, hope you guys have enjoyed this segment each and every week here on the show. That being said, let's keep this one going. Let's get Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell. It's time now for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's get things going here with Saturday Scouting as I welcome in both Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell. Guys, uh, today we're going to do a little bit different version of Saturday Scouting where instead of we're going to focus in on uh, what happened this past weekend and big takeaways from scouting many of these bowl games, We're going to kind of look big picture, take a step back and and look at all of these underclassmen that have, while it's not official, official, have come out on social media or through their respective school and said, yes, I will be declaring for the 2021 NFL draft. Now, this was a list that was created by 24-7 sports over the weekend. So I know there were some names that came out midday on Monday. They are not included in this discussion. That's number one. Number two. I wanted to focus on just the guys from the underclassmen ranks, because as we've talked about numerous times here this year, the NCAA did give every athlete basically a free year of eligibility. So if these guys want to choose to go back to play again in 2021, even if they are red shirt seniors, they can do so. Now it gets a little cloudy because the schools are still being held to a scholarship limit. So it gets a little bit cloudy in terms of how many of these guys are going to be able to actually go back to their own school and play another year of football. But That remains to be the case. We'll see. There's a bunch of guys that have already done it. Uh, Miami's De'Ara King, Pitt's Kenny Pickett. A bunch of other guys have already said, yes, I'm going back to play an extra year in college. But for this discussion, we are just going to focus on the guys who would, in a normal year, be underclassmen. So, that being said, out on the table. Hope you guys, number one, had a a good holiday, had a a good uh, holiday weekend here. We've got New Year's later this week. First things first, the guys who opted out did not play a down this year. So these are guys that we've talked about uh, all through the summer. We talked about them when they made their decisions. Uh, we'll just buzz through the names really quickly, and then I've got some follow-ups here for you guys. Number one at running back, Memphis's Kenny Gainwell. LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase, probable top ten pick here in the 2021 NFL Draft. Sage Surratt from Wake Forest, big possession receiver. Oregon's left tackle Penny Sewell, another likely top five pick. Northwestern left tackle Rayshon Slater. Dane, I know a big fan. Or you are a big fan of Slaters. Stanford's Walker Little. We talked about him last. Last week with Jeff Schwartz going over to the defensive side, a bunch of guys, Greg Rousseau, Joe Tryon, the pass rushers from Miami and Washington, respectively. Defensive tackles, Jay Tufele from USC, uh, Jalen Twyman from Pitt, Tyler Shelvin from LSU. Then you've got Penn State linebacker, Micah Parsons, another likely top 10 pick, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, another likely top 10 pick, a bunch of those guys uh, here in this group. And then Paulson Adebo from Stanford, Javon Holland from Oregon, and LSU safety carry vincent so that being said bunch of names there guys that were juniors or or redshirt sophomores that opted out did not play dane who could have helped themselves the most this year if you look at that group who's a guy you're like man i I really wish we could have seen him. we're not killing the decision to opt out because obviously with COVID 19 a lot that comes into play for these guys but who's a guy that could have helped themselves this year who do you wish you got to see a little bit more film on
4: yeah, and of all those names, I thought three really stood out to me as guys that could have made some money by coming back for their uh, for this season. Stanford's Walker Little, uh, Miami's Gregory Rousseau, and then LSU's Tyler Shelvin. Uh, I mean, Walker Little, he had a good, not great, but a good sophomore year in 2018, and then he had the season-ending the injury uh, in the 2019 season opener, and then he opted out of this season. So he's played in one game since December 2018. Uh, How is he doing post-surgery? Has his technique improved? There are just so many unanswered questions that teams are going to have to try and figure out this draft process. Uh, I never understood the first-round hype with Walker Little. Uh, But now, I mean, he has work to do if he's going to be a day-two player, Uh, just in terms of uh, teams' understanding where he is in his development. Uh, Rousseau, uh, with all those traits uh, that are certainly appealing, but he's not yet to some of his parts. There's a lot of uh, unproven to his game. And with this draft class, missing that clear top rusher uh, in the top 10. Rousseau, I mean, he's still a good player. He's still probably going to be a first-round pick, but he had a chance to be the guy in this draft among the past rushers. And who knows? He he still might be. Teams might fall in love with the trades. He could be a top 10 pick, but it could have been, you know, with a strong uh, season this year, could have been already tied up by now. Uh, then the last one I wanted to talk about was Sheldon, who moves so well for a 340, 350-pounder. Uh, I actually had a scout tell me uh, that he thought Vince Willful, uh he, he had mm. that type of potential uh, last spring. But questions about weight, questions about, you know, is he ever going to reach his potential? Uh, is he going to be the best player he can be? There's a lot of questions like that that are really going to uh, maybe downgrade him uh, throughout the process.
1: Dana, a quick follow-up there on Walker Little. I don't know if you've got any insight into whether or not he has received a senior bowl invite. My understanding he is that he, he got his degree.
4: He has the invite and he's not, he has not uh, accepted. It doesn't sound like he's going to, which I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I don't know what, I don't know why you wouldn't take advantage of that. Um mm-hmm. He does have his degree. He does have the senior bowl invite. Does not sound like he's going to accept.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, Ben, uh, who's a guy from that list of the underclassmen that have opted out that we did not see here this fall in 2020, the next chance we might get to see most of them is going to be the combine in February. Uh, who are you most excited to see on the turf at
2: Lucas Oil Stadium? Well, the first name I had written down was Walker Little. And I think yeah. he'd be doing himself a huge disservice to not go down and compete in Mobile because I'm just excited to see him in Indianapolis because it's going to be the most competitive thing we've seen him do in two years. Dan had mentioned only that one start against Northwestern 2018. He didn't play in the bowl game either. So it was Jordan, early, man. early December. So it was quite a, quite a while since he's been a, uh, you know, consistent performer for that team, but mm. If we're talking February at the Combine. It's all the guys I'm excited to do the underwear Olympics. So, you know, I want to see if Micah Parsons is going to run low four fours at 245 pounds and Kerry Vincent has world world-class kind of track speed and uh, Caleb Farrelly at, you know, six, one, 205 pounds. He's another guy with track background is second in the state in hundred meters reportedly can run into low four threes. He's a guy that I think can really leapfrog uh, Patrick Sertan on a lot of boards around the NFL with. The low 4-3 time and maybe some explosive jumps. He's going to move really well out there. So all those kind of uh, I think freak listers that we always get uh, the information in the summer. I'm interested to see how many of those are official and check out uh, once we see them in February.
1: Alright, so those are all the guys that opted out that did not play this year. Now we're going to go for the players that did play, even just a little bit this year, and we'll go position by position, a couple follow-ups here uh, for each of those spots. Obviously, all eyes on the quarterback position. As of this point, the only guy who is officially going to enter the 2021 NFL Draft, North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. Only played one game this year, that kind of showcase game against Central Arkansas. Ben, give us the quick refresher on Trey Lance and how you view him, how you think he's going to project to the next level.
2: Well, just a redshirt sophomore, while he only played one game in 2020, he's only a one-year starter for North Dakota State. But they went 16-0, won the national championship, very run-heavy offense, also the number one scoring defense. So very cushy quarterback situation, very competitive team on both sides of the ball. This is a thick-body quarterback that's tough, athletic, fearless, definitely plays uh, more of a leadership-style role being a young player in that team. He's a 1,000-yard rusher heavy run offense. So a lot of their things are off of play action, will move the launch point quite a bit. I know me and you Fran watched a bunch of his tape and we came impressed with his ball handling as a young player and all those different under center run action elements and all that kind of misdirection in the backfield, a lot of under center elements. The cons, though, kind of an average arm, bit of a long windup. I think he really struggled with some pure progression reads in the straight dropback game, which they didn't ask him to do a whole lot. So we didn't see a whole lot of uh, volume with that style of passing. I want to see him protect himself more, too. He was young, a bit fearless. I thought he took on contact way too much. His availability will be the best ability in the NFL. He needs to be a little bit smarter with his body, a la Russell Wilson or Kylo Murray. And then just the whole level of, you know, competition, the FCS, only one game this year, only a one-year starter. Is it a large enough body of work to get a true assessment on the kid?
1: Yeah, this is a guy that I studied in the fall, or in the summer, rather, and uh, two days, you know, just kind of thinking, like, how could, they be, how could he be used at the next level? You look at what Buffalo has done, especially this year, uh, with Josh Allen. I could see him being used in a very similar kind of fashion. And then even like a Ryan Tannehill, if he were to go to that kind of offense, that's what could feature him playing early on in his career. I do think he's going to need a little bit of patience, a little bit of development, very little experience has been mentioned, but a really intriguing talent for sure. Dane, uh, obviously there are a few names here that, are not, that we have not talked about. Trevor Lawrence has kind of insinuated that he's going to declare. We don't know for sure. You look at Justin Fields, don't know for sure if he's going to declare from Ohio State. And then Zach Wilson from BYU, also not confirmed yet. When do you expect the three to, to make a decision? And do, do you expect that all three of these guys will for certain be in this draft?
4: I I do. I would be very surprised if uh, any of the three uh, decide to go back to school. Trevor Lawrence, like you said, he's basically said he's going. The plan is to go pro. He's already graduated. Uh, Zach Wilson's family, they've been vetting agents. So um, I I do think at some point here in the next week or so, we'll hear from uh, from the BYU quarterback. Justin Fields. Now, he's the interesting one, because I think he could benefit the most out of these quarterbacks by returning to Columbus for one more season but I'd just be very surprised if it happened. Uh, you know, it just, it, it seems like a lot of these guys, they have it set in their minds that the plan is three and out. And, you know, even if things don't go exactly according to plan, uh, they're just so set on uh, making that jump that they do it. And, and I get it. You could come back and get hurt or even damage your, your draft stock even more. It, you know, it, there's, there's definitely downside uh, to, uh, to coming back. So I understand why some of these players make these decisions and Justin Fields, there's a, there's a good chance he's still a top 10 pick. So it's not like he uh, drastically needs to uh, you know show scouts these uh, some some uh, improvements in some areas, even though I wish he would. So strong bet all three of these quarterbacks are going to join Lance in this class.
1: All right, let's get to the running back position. Oklahoma State's Chuba Hubbard, North Carolina's Javante Williams, two very, very talented players. But let's not lead off the list. Kansas Jayhawk running back, Kupuka Williams. Louisville's uh, Javian Hawkins, Oregon State running back, Jamar Jefferson, and Marshall running back, Brendan Knox, Dane. I want to come to you first. Chuba Hubbard, Javante Williams. We've talked about them plenty here this fall. Which of the others intrigues you the most? Of Puka Williams, Javien Hawkins, Jamar Jefferson, and Brendan Knox?
4: I think Javien Hawkins uh, because he just he gets yards in chunks. Uh, he doesn't have any power to him. That's not his game. But he plays with quickness he's got lateral agility to him uh you know the the long speed uh you know he can create those big chunk plays and so you know he kind of reminds me of a a more dynamic version of like a Donnell pumphrey uh you know the size is an issue it's just that that's just there's no changing that he's a small guy at the running back position but as a complimentary back in the a, in a backfield, I think he could be a lot of fun. So, uh, Javion Hawkins is the one of those groups. I, I would also say Brendan Knox, too, at uh, a Marshall. I think he has a chance to be an early day three player. Uh, but I, I think all of these players uh, are, are really intriguing in their own way. Ben, who, who
2: do you like from that group? Yeah, definitely Javion Hawkins, interesting player at 182 pounds. In a full workload in 2019, he had 19 runs of 20-plus in college football. I believe that was third most in the country. So certainly a guy with the home run speed and get him in the open field, and you get to see that explosive element in the offense. Puka Williams, interesting, another undersized back at probably 175 pounds, soaking wet. It's a guy that's caught 66 balls in his career out of the backfield, really good hands, bit of a change of pace guy. I want to see if he can be a Tariq Cohen or maybe a uh, you know a J.J. Taylor coming out of Arizona last year and be one of those day three guys that can really get onto the field on third down and see what he can do out in space in the screen game and just maybe be in a perimeter back. But I know Puka Williams was a high recruit out there at Kansas. That team hasn't always been super competitive, but he has a lot of ability and that wasn't always easy to evaluate uh, in that offense and behind that offensive line.
1: How about like a Tony Pollard type player here, Ben? I mean, uh, yeah, certainly yeah. a guy that can be used in in a lot of different ways. They use him out of the backfield a ton on vertical route they did in 2019. Really fun tape.
2: It's a uh, unique package. He might be 175 with, you know, a helmet on. So he's definitely a little light in the pants, but uh, you see the foot speed.
1: Handful of receivers here I want to get to. Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, he initially opted out but then opted back in. Louisville's Tutu Atwell, explosive kid from South Florida there for the Cardinals. Ole Miss wide receiver Elijah Moore built very similarly. Then you go to LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall. North Carolina's Diami Brown. Texas wide receiver Brennan Eagles. We have not talked about him too much here uh, on the show. And then East Carolina wide receiver Jake Prohl. Day in the shine has kind of worn off a little bit on Rashad Bateman. Do you still expect him uh, to go in the first round? He was in every first round mock draft back in the summer. Uh, Do you still envision that here for Bateman as as we sit here at the end of December?
4: It's certainly possible. He's a polarizing uh, prospect. There's no question about it because he's a certain type of receiver that just isn't a fit for every offense based on what they're looking for. Uh, He's not naturally explosive. Uh, His speed falls below NFL standards. And honestly, I was very underwhelmed By him in contested situations. And I think that's the main difference between him and a Michael Thomas or a Keenan Allen. Yes, he has the route savvy where he can leverage coverage and create windows. That's going to be the key to his success at the next level. But I see more of a a low end starter more so than a high end starter, Mm -hmm. which is fine. He can make an NFL offense better. But I don't know that you necessarily draft those guys in the first round. So, personally, uh, I I would be surprised if he goes in the top 30 picks, but a a team could certainly fall in love with him.
1: Interesting. Ben, Ben, which of these other receivers give you personally the most juice? you got to pick one. Which of that group really gets you the most excited for their projection on the next level?
2: You know, there's some guys that you know are going to be fast, like the Elijah Moores and Tutu Atwells. I want to see Brendan Eagles run at six, mm. four, nearly 230 pounds. He's going to be this year's miles, Boykin, Jake, uh, Clay's, excuse me, chase Claypool, mm. And he'll be competing with Nico Collins to be that big oversized receiver, really, you know, threatening the four threes. I think he's going to be a low four, four type of receiver, a guy that's been able to win vertically at Texas, uh, down the field, even with that size. So I think he's going to be one of these kind of Indianapolis darlings, uh, with the height, weight, speed. Uh, what do you guy. think of the rest of his
4: of his game, uh, Ben, with Eagles? I mean, did you see? A guy that can get open that, that you know, was running sound routes. What did you think of the rest of his game?
2: No, I think it relies a little bit on those physical abilities. just kind of beasting smaller corners at the catch point. He has a really good roll off the line of scrimmage. I think gets him to that top speed and can put some cornerbacks on their heels, especially in that big 10 off coverage. I think he eats up that cushion. I don't love his change of direction. I don't like him getting in and out of breaks. He might be a guy they envision moving to tight end at the next level and maybe being one of those vertical stretch seam guys. So I think his future and positional fit is a little still to be undecided, but uh, he's definitely an interesting athlete. I'm not sure if you saw uh, similar things. Uh, Tutu Atwell is the guy for me that I'm just, I'm so excited to see this.
1: First of all, he's on the, he's been on the free list. I think we know about the time speed, what it can be that shows up on the football field, whether they're working them horizontally on jet sweeps and bubble screens or working down the field. Uh, this guy is a really dynamic playmaker. So I'm excited to see, uh, what he can do here this offseason, preparing for the draft. Let's go to the tight end position, Florida's tight end, Kyle Pitts. We're going to talk about him uh, a little bit later as well. Not a surprise that he has entered this draft. Penn State's tight end, uh, Pat Fryermuth, Boston College tight end, Hunter Long, and then TCU tight end, Pro Wells. Ben, I'm going to come to you first here. We know about Kyle Pitts. We've talked about him a ton here on the show, one of the best playmakers in this draft, regardless of position. But take a look at Fryermuth and Long, because I feel like they're kind of in a bucket amongst some other guys. Is that, you know, maybe they're that second tier or third tier of tight end? How do you compare those two players and how they project to
2: the league? Yeah, I think Fryermouth is the best in-line true Y tight end in the class, but I'm not willing to give him a first-round grade yet. I didn't love his play in 2020. Uh, I was hoping he was going to ascend and maybe get a little bit stronger at the point of attack, still a little bit underpowered. Reminds me of an Owen Daniels-style player that I think can survive as an in-line y. won't be overpowering, will be able to stretch a little bit in the pass game, has pretty good hands on the underneath stuff, but won't wow you in any area. So I think some people thought we were getting the next gronk as well, We're so quick to anoint those next inline tight ends. But I think think it's a little bit more of a Zach Miller, Owen Daniels. And then Mm. over to Hunter Long is a guy with a really interesting skill set. Another dual threat, two-way tight end. Maybe not the sexiest in either area, like I was just saying. But a guy that can maybe squeeze in late day two with his ability to block a lot of the way, you know, an Anthony Fasano played in the league, or maybe even a Nick Vinette coming out of Ohio state wasn't really used in the pass game, but carved out a nice, you know, five, six year career, being a good strong player that can catch the ball, uh, you know, in the middle of the field and in traffic there. Um, so I think those two picks while Anthony Fasano, Nick Vinette, not the biggest, sexiest names, really good pros that you can uh, survive in both the run and pass game.
1: I think long is a guy that has that two-way skill set that uh, teams are Coveting for sure, moving into the NFL. Dane, uh, of those two guys, Fryermuth and Long, who do you think gets drafted higher?
4: I, I'd lean Fryermuth, and I, I don't think he has any overwhelming traits uh, that are really going to blow uh, blow you away. And, and yes, the baby Gronk nickname just needs to be retired. Uh, but you know, he's he's athletic, he's competitive, he's dependable. I think he could be a high floor type of starter in the NFL. You just know what you're getting. And I, I could say a lot of these same things about Long, but Move I think, gives you a little more polish uh, as a guy that could plug in and play right away. So I, I think he's going to be kind of in that Cole commit territory as, you know, somewhere between 35 and 50 Uh, that type of draft pick.
2: Hey, Dane, where'd you have Friar Muth based on last year to this year? What were you looking for him to kind of improve on? I know he's been teetering first round, second round. A lot of people wanted him, uh, you know, in that back end of round one. Yeah, I'm with you.
4: I thought he could have been in that late first round where, you know, a guy that uh, sneaks in there and, you know, you you just, because he does everything pretty well, it's just you, you really didn't see him ascend to do anything necessarily great you know as a blocker uh doesn't get you too excited as a receiver he, he does some good things uh, especially in the red zone he has penn state's uh all-time record for touchdown catches by a tight end uh breaking Gasecki's record. so there's there's a you draft him in the first round i just don't think he's he's done that and you factor in his injury that ended uh his 2020 season just we have to check up on that see what's going on with that injury But, uh, you know, I think he's just a solid prospect. And that's the type of guy you look for in day two, not day one.
1: All right, let's take a look at the offensive line to round out the offense here. Virginia Tech's left tackle Christian Darashaw. We've talked about him a good amount. You guys both uh, very much squarely in that Darashaw bandwagon. Texas left tackle Samuel Cosme. Michigan offensive tackle Jalen Mayfield. Missouri offensive tackle Larry Borum. Florida AM's and ms Calvin Ashley. Now, Florida A&M, you, should, you typically don't see many juniors declaring. He is a former five-star recruit transferred from Auburn. Then on the interior, we've got Ohio State's Josh Myers and Texas Tech's jack anderson dane uh went through a handful of offensive tackles there looks to me like potentially three of those guys could end up in the first round do you agree there definitely uh
4: his combination of brute power just natural balance are outstanding i think he there are times where you wish you would consistently play through the whistle uh there a little too much spectating on his tape which is bothersome but he's a first round pick Cosme and Mayfield uh both could land in round one uh but I just don't feel as confident about them as I do Dara saw Cosme he's quick he works hard to stay square uh stay underneath rushers so he can anchor versus power uh you know he's got uh some uh what's your comparison for him friend? Uh, for me it was uh Taylor Decker Taylor Decker yes I, I like that a lot uh But I think his margin for error is smaller than some of these other players, and that's where you get a little worrisome with him. Uh, Mayfield, he doesn't have great length, and I think that's uh, you know scouts have written up him up as a guard uh, because he's under 33 inch arms and he plays powerful. uh, But you know, is he coordinated enough to stay on the outside against NFL style rushers? There's definitely a split on him in scouting circles. So especially this year, he came. He originally opted out. Uh, but then he opted back in. I think only played in two games this year because of injuries. So uh, a lot of questions about Mayfield that might squeeze him out of the first round.
1: Ben, outside of those three guys, Darasaw, Cosme, and Mayfield, uh, of the other four, who is the one guy that piques your interest the
2: most? Uh, probably Larry Borum in his size. I want to see, uh, you know, how he looks kind of moving in space out there. It seems like the NFL is pretty set on kicking him inside. And then Calvin Ashley is a really interesting player for Florida A&M offensive tackle, former five star at Auburn. But don't forget, guys, he took a pit stop to FAU in between those schools. Mm. And early on campus, he was going to compete for the right tackle spot, had a nasty injury in one of the first practices, serious head-neck injury as well. So his college career has not gone as planned, but a lot of ability. He's a massive player, and we'll see if uh, the NFL can uh, uh, tap that potential.
1: Josh Myers on the inside, I think, is a future starter at center, potentially even at guard. I'm a really big fan of Ohio State's Josh Myers. Uh, Let's go to the defensive side, pass rusher. Three interesting names here at the top of this group, guys. Penn State's Jason Oway, just dripping with potential. Texas's uh, Joseph Osai made the move to defensive end this year and really kind of boomed here with the position switch after being an off-ball linebacker. And then Miami's Jalen Phillips uh, rounding out that group. But then you got two guys that are underclassmen that are also going to the Senior Bowl: Kansas State's Wyatt Hubert and UAB's Jordan Smith. Dane, of those three first guys, what's interesting is all three have pretty big question marks. Joseph, no Jason no way. look, he's got great tools, but only a one-year starter was a very startling lack of production this year for him. Joseph Osai, only one year playing on the defensive end, so you've got projection there. And then Jalen Phillips, he's got – I mean, he had to retire. He was the former number one recruit in high school, but had to retire at UCLA. There's questions about all the stuff going on in the background there. Um, of those three, how do you kind of see them be, being drafted? In what order do you see them kind of coming off the board as we sit here at the end of 2020?
4: Yeah, that's such a tough question, because uh, at this point in the process, it's might come down to preference and, and, you know, which teams are more risk adverse to different categories. Uh, You know, I can already envision the debates that I'm going to find myself in this draft process with Owe because he had exactly zero sacks uh, in seven games this year, which is going to stick out like a sore thumb for for a lot of people. Unless I, I care about sacks, just like everybody else, when you're looking at the pass rush position but I care more about the tape and the tape shows a player who routinely found his way to the backfield. So the zero sacks doesn't bother me as much. Uh, I think he's a first round talent, but that's going to be something that's going to be talked about a lot uh, over the process. Uh, Jalen Phillips, uh, same type of thing. He's a first round talent. uh, And I don't, He's not on the Bosa's level, but if you squint, squint really hard, you can see uh, a little bit of the comparison with the way he uses his hands, so he wins with quickness. Um, But again, like you set it up, Fran, uh, injury history, uh, huge question mark. Teams are going to feel differently about it in terms of where they'll feel comfortable drafting a player like that. And then Osai, who – He wins more with motor than explosion, which isn't a bad thing. But is that consistently going to work at the NFL level? So, I mean, basically, uh, I'm saying I don't know how to answer your (laughs) question. There's going to be no consensus on these guys from team to team. Uh, Some will be okay with Jalen Phillips durability uh, questions. Other teams are going to say, I don't I don't care about the stats for Owe, He's a freaky talent. Bring him on down. Uh, and then some are, are going to say, oh, wait, because the motor, you just can't teach that competitiveness. So I, I think you, th- those three names are really interesting. And from team to team, it could be
1: very different. Uh, I'm still squinting, trying to see the Jalen Phillips and, and as a poster, but I'll just I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. Uh, ben, you've talked a lot about UAB's Jordan Smith uh, here on the podcast. What excites you most about him? Give us a, a little bit of a refresher there.
2: Well, he's a tall, twitchy glass of water. He's nearly six, seven, 255 pounds very technical pass rusher and a good run defender second in the country in QB pressures, but he came off a season last year. He was the highest graded run defender by all defensive linemen by PFF. So he's a guy that was very competitive in both phases of the game. He's a Florida transfer. So he was a high recruit, had some off the field issues, but I just want to see him, Kind of move around in some of those movement drills, see how his zone drops look, see if he's scheme specific, if maybe he can hold down outside linebacker role on occasion. If he squint really closely on a couple of those uh games, he looks like a Marcus Davenport, maybe not as filled out, but twitchy, explosive, can win inside, outside, hustles from the backside. I don't think he's gonna be an elite tester, but he's gonna stand out and be right there with Gregory Rousseau as the uh the tall, long, lanky limb guys that uh can win in a multitude of ways.
1: Some people that are listening to this show are driving. We're asking them to squint time and time again. I mean, we're (laughs) going to result here in some kind of accident. Uh, Ben, let's go to the defensive tackle spot. Only one guy on this list, NC State's defensive tackle, Aleem McNeil. Uh, We talked about him back in the summer in our primer for the ACC, but give us an update here. What can fans expect from Aleem McNeil making the jump to the NFL?
2: Well, what you know you can expect from this NC State program is well-built players ready for the NFL. They're a strength coach, D'Antonio Burnett, one of the best in the country, always gets them ready. Showed up on the freak list over the summer for an under 5-second 40 at over 320 pounds. This is a guy that played running back and linebacker in high school, and it seemed like he was at that size. It was this massive freak show in the backfield and that Mike linebacker just crashing into the line of scrimmage. So what am I saying? 6'2", 320-pound nose tackle with a whole lot of athleticism and light feet. He's a fun player to watch, a bit of a dancing panda. I don't want to say he's Don Terry Poe. It seems to be like the low-hanging fruit of the last mm. 10 years uh, as far as comps. But that really is the style of player. Do you think he's a a top five
4: defensive tackle that you've seen in this class? Top ten, top fifteen? If you had a loosely uh, stack where he is in this defense among these other defensive tackles, where do you think he is for you?
2: Uh, He's way down there. I'm not sure if he's even squeezing in the top 10. I think he's a bit of a ball of clay right now. I think he's still learning the timing playing from that defensive line position. I told you his pedigree linebacker running back. So just block identification, things like that off the ball, still a little bit to be desired, but a defensive line coach is just going to salivate and gush at his tools and traits, especially coming from Indianapolis, where we know these 300 pounders turn all sorts of eyes and heads when they, uh, they run and test really well.
1: Yeah, certainly a name we got some buzz on back in the offseason. Glad that uh, we'll get to see uh, what he can turn into rather quickly here in the NFL. Let's go to the linebacker spot, guys. Handful of guys here as well. Uh, namely, the two at the top, Nick Bolton from Missouri, Tulsa linebacker Zayvon Collins. I think all three of us here really like both players. We All three, I think, feel like he both could be first-round picks. Uh, so excited for both of those guys. Then you round it out with Texas A&M's Anthony Hines, South Carolina's Ernest Jones, Dane, I want to bring it back to those first two guys, though, with Nick Bolton and Zayvon Collins. Loaded question, who gets drafted first between those two and why?
4: I think it'll be Zayvon Collins. I, I think he gives uh, teams more versatility, especially for the three four teams uh, that uh, want to use his size and his ability to win in different ways. Uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that he's always around the football. He's creating these impact plays week in, week out for Tulsa. Uh, He can drop in coverage, he can blitz, he can mirror versus the run. And listen, I'm a big Bolton guy. I mean, I I, I think he's just a magnet to the football. He plays with power behind his pads. He's just a a fun guy to watch uh, hunt the football. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be shocked at all if there's not the consensus, or not even most teams, but a few
1: teams have Zayvon Collins as even the top linebacker ahead of Parsons. It might. Uh, That would not shock me at all. And looking even at Nick Bolton, I, you know, Devin Bush at this point in the process was not being viewed as a a top 20, top 25 pick. I think Bolton uh, is going to, is arrow pointing up uh, on that guy. In my opinion, Ben, Anthony Hines, Ernest Johnson, anything on either of those guys?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Ernest, uh, Ernest Jones, I believe. Ernest Jones, uh, from yep, South, sorry about South that. Carolina, really good size, length at 6'3", nearly 230 pounds. Ever since he got that most improved player award in the spring of 2019, an absolute tackling machine. Led the team in tackling 2019, came right back, led the team in tackling in 2020. He's obviously going to be able to get on the field through special teams. I think that's one of those high floor players, with really good energy, athleticism. He looks the part. Now, Anthony Hines is interesting because he was wanted by everybody in the country coming out of high school, five-star, number one inside linebacker, U.S. Army All-American, Parade All-American, but showed up and I think just tried to rely on a lot of his God-given abilities. And that happens a lot of times when you're the, for lack of better words, when you're the man coming out of high school, you think you're getting the finished product to go plug and play. And the early in his college career didn't go great. Uh, He actually didn't play in 2020, so while Texas A&M is kind of in prominence this year and working their way into the top 10 and a pretty good season by Kellen Mond and some of those defenders, Anthony Hines hasn't been a part of that. So really interested to see what the NFL thinks of a guy like this that hasn't played since uh, 2019, and he was only a sophomore back then after having a season-ending injury in 2018. So Mm -hmm. 6'3", 226, and all I'm really talking right now is I have no idea what to make of his play.
1: Let's go to the cornerback spot, guys, because uh, to me, that's a position we always see a bunch of players declare for the draft from the underclassmen ranks. So many teams are drafting corners. It's one of the highest drafted positions in football. So let's get to a couple here. We've got South Carolina pair. We've got J.C. Horn, son of Joe Horn, likely first round pick. Israel Mukwamo on the other side. He is a tall glass of water, uh, 6'3", 200 pound corner. Then you've got Florida State corner asante samuel jr a, a, a name that eagles fans will recognize georgia's eric stokes a lot of people very high long, high on and then you get to a bunch of other guys you got michigan state Shakur brown uh, kentucky corner kelvin joseph he's a redshirt sophomore northwestern's greg Newsom. Uh, dane i know you wrote about him recently uh syracuse they've got a pair in ifatu melafonwu uh Syracuse's trill williams as well and then wisconsin rashad wild goose dane Big list right there, a bunch of corners. How many do you view as potential top 50 picks uh, when you look at just at that group of underclassmen corners? Obviously, we have yet to hear from guys like Patrick Sertan Jr. as well.
4: I think I'd probably put the over-under at three. Okay. Uh, you know, J.C. Horn uh, and Asante Samuel, I think those guys are top 50 yep. players. Uh, and then you have several maybe guys. Eric Stokes falls in that uh, category. Uh, was really interesting. Greg Newsom's is really uh, an intriguing guy for me. I included him in my top 10 uh, draft eligible cornerback rankings a few weeks ago. Reminds me a lot of Kendall Fuller as a prospect, just mm. a really coordinated athlete, smart. He's got ball skills. Um, uh, right now, I think he's probably more in that early to mid third round range, but with strong workouts, I, I think he could make a play
1: for the top 50. Uh, ben, one name from the rest of that group. Who interests
2: you the most? If you can give us one guy. Well, we're going to go with the best name in the group. You said Trill Williams, but his real name's A Trillion, which is a great name. Showed up on the freak list over the summer. 40 inches, 43440 at 6'2, 205. This is really more of a safety product, though, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, it's kind of went back and forth with the safety in the corner position. It's played some nickel, so a lot of time over the middle of the field. I want to see how he tests and if he uh, kind of turns heads out there. And I think him and melon Fonwu are really going to uh, be the darlings of the defensive back group at their height, length, speed, athleticism, both really fluid players. They're long. They're going to test extremely well. And now we just need to see if the tape matches, uh, because we've seen a couple of melaphonous roll there, roll through there before, and right. look like the darlings of indie, uh, and haven't produced on the other side. So uh, it pained me not to pick Wild Goose as the one name, but we'll, sure. we'll stick with the Syracuse guys. Well, you uh,
4: mentioned up, up, oh, Dan. Sorry, Fred. I, I did want to shout out Shakir Brown too. I, I think he. He might be the most competitive corner in this draft class. He he was a really fun guy to watch. He, he he's not a great prospect because he's a little stiff. He can get crossed up versus savvy route runners, but man, he, he he's got above average ball skills, the physical nature that he plays with, the competitiveness. he's it, just he's a lot of fun. Uh, the that interception he had against Rutgers was was big time. So uh, he, he's a guy that I don't know that'll go on day two, but somewhere early on day three,
2: I, I, I think Brown's going to hear his name called. And Fran, Dane. Michigan state's one of those programs that maybe doesn't always rack up the wins, but typically produces some really good professionals and guys that are ready to play right away, even on the back end. And I think a guys I'm blanking right now, the safety that's carved out a nice role in Indianapolis. Kyrie,
1: that, Kyrie Wilson.
2: Yeah. Kyrie Wilson. Uh, Wilson uh, yeah. But yeah. there's, it seems like there's guys like that on every level that come out of Michigan state, whether it's Raekwon Williams for us with the Eagles right now. A lot of guys that are ready to go. All
1: right, well, let's get to the, uh, the safety spot. Ben, you talked about the two Syracuse corners, Troy Williams uh, potentially making the move to safety. Well, the Orange, they've got another guy in Andre Cisco, who is a safety and has been extremely productive uh, throughout the course of his career. Hurt his knee midseason and opted out shortly afterwards. So we've got Andre Cisco, Texas safety Caden Stearns, Pitt safety Paris Ford, and then a couple guys that are a little bit under the radar. Arizona State's Ashari Crosswell and Mississippi State's Marcus Murphy. Ben, uh, we talked about Cisco there. Overall feelings on him as we sit here today because I feel like people are either hot or cold on,
2: on his prospects moving forward. Well, rightfully so, because his tape is very hot and cold. He'll wow you with some big plays and then kind of leave your head scratching with some boneheaded plays and some busting coverage. And that's kind of the nature of the NFL. You want those big impact plays on the back end. But I'll tell you what, Fran, you watch those movement drills on the back end. He's going to look great because there's no reads. Keep your eyes on that coach. You know, moving the ball left and right. You're going to watch him flip it, flip his hips. He's going to catch every ball in the air. I want to see him uh, on the bench press. Over the summer, he put up 17 reps at 225 at about 200 pounds, which is a great uh, pound for pound value there. So we'll see if he could squeeze in maybe the back end of the first round or early day two, um, you know, with this safety position, I think kind of uh, up in the air at the moment.
1: Guys, every year we kind of take note of programs that are quietly putting out quality NFL players year after year after year. I feel like Arizona State is one of those teams where I've been intrigued by a number of prospects over the last couple of years and credit Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, that whole staff. So I want to ask you, Dane, I have not done a Shari Crosswell yet. Uh, Give us the scoop here on Crosswell and what you think he brings to the NFL.
4: Well, I had a scout put Crosswell on my radar over the summer uh, and I was really intrigued with uh, his tape from last year, Uh, so much so that he was one of my top five safeties uh, coming into the year. And I wrote about him over the summer, but then he lost his starting job, uh, you know, earlier this season, he was suspended for a fight during practice. And he basically said, all right, peace, I'm out. So uh, off the field, there's plenty that we need to figure out with Crosswell on the field. He has range. He has toughness. Arizona State would use him in a lot of different ways as a nickel, as a safety. So there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that scouts need to figure out to best understand the type of uh, professional that he is. But there was buzz about this player uh, before the season as as maybe a a day two prospect. And so uh, plenty, plenty that
2: we need to figure out with him. And with seniors, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones, there might be three yep. Arizona State defensive backs uh, drafted when it's all said and done.
1: Yep, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought those names up. And uh, those are some names that potentially we'll see, potentially end up in Mobile. But there are six of these guys that we've already mentioned, Ben. Hunter Long from Boston College, the tight end. Texas Tech's Jack Anderson, the guard. Ohio State center Josh Myers. UAB's Jordan Smith. Wyatt Hubert from Kansas state, another pass rusher. And then at Fatu Mellifand with the Syracuse corner, all six of those guys are going to mobile of that group. Who in your mind has the chance to best help themselves and maybe raise their stock a bit here down at the senior bowl.
2: Well, I'm going to go with one of the local guys and that's UAB's edge, Jordan Smith for a number of reasons. First of all, kind of local down there in Alabama, but, uh, You know, coming over from the University of Florida and the way he left that program, he's going to have some questions to answer. He could kind of be the darling host of the week and, you know, be on his best behavior, Uh, maybe, you know, fall in love with some of the coaches and that, you know, the position coaches that week that can really vet him personally. I think it's a big opportunity for him, obviously, on the field, but to answer a lot of those questions off the field, which you know, it's uh, we can't ignore that. He was a very serious kind of accusation and violation at Florida that got him dismissed from the program. He's a talented player. Now let's see what type of person we're getting. So I think it's a big week for him to kind of check those off the field boxes.
1: All right, so we're talking about some of these big names. There are a bunch of guys we have not yet talked about. You know, we met, we alluded to the quarterbacks, uh, you know, whether it's Jalen Waddell at Alabama or, uh, you know, Dylan Moses at Alabama, Patrick Sertan Jr., Sean Wade at Ohio State, D.K. Kendrick from Clemson. There's a bunch of guys that we could bring up here. USC left tackle Elijah Tucker, Dane, uh, we're going to dip into you as our insider. Is there anyone we should expect to hear from here, uh, you know, in the coming days and the, the next week or so?
4: I think we'll start to see an exodus uh, from the losing teams after January 1st. Got it. Uh, but among the players not in the playoffs, scouts are expecting Vera Tucker to declare. That that seems like a near-done deal. Uh, Davion Nixon, um, a defensive tackle from Iowa, he's expected to go. And TCU's Trevon Morick is expected to make the jump here pretty quickly. So mm. uh, a few of those names uh, are, are expected to be pretty, uh, You know, maybe even by the time you're listening to this podcast, uh, Aziz Ajalari from Georgia. Now, he's yep. a really interesting one. Only a redshirt sophomore. Uh, could use another year, just like you know a lot of these guys could. But it would be tough to pass up you know, a spot in the top 40 picks. And that's where he's currently projected. So Adjulari is one of the uh, underclassmen that I, I, I don't know that we have a, a firm grasp on whether he will or we won't, but we're excited to find out because he could be a, another uh, exciting pass rusher in this class that
2: desperately needs him do you think we're in for any surprises that a guy maybe is set to be a top 50 pick and may end up going back for whatever reasons? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't, I don't, you know, if there was one, uh,
4: maybe like a Jalen Waddle because he's coming off the injury. He saw what, what it, it, you know, Devonte Smith coming back for his senior year uh, and, and what that meant. Um you know, we didn't mention Mac Jones, right? I mean, yep. he's, he that's a name that, uh, would it really be a shock if Mac Jones said, yeah, let's do it again? I mean, I, I think that's certainly a possibility. So uh, a couple of those Alabama guys, that, that's that's a program that will bring back Nick Saban. He, he could be pretty persuasive and, uh, you know, say, mm-hmm. you know, let's you know, come back. We'll get you even better and get you more prepared for the NFL.
2: So uh, a few of those
4: Alabama players could, could make that move.
2: Those are the Nick's two I was thinking about. I want to know what type of grade is Dylan Moses and Christian Barmore getting from the advisory committee yeah. and how much do they think they can maybe improve that? Or, I mean, if Barmore is getting a second-round grade, is he happy with that? Is Nick Saban happy with that? Is his family happy with that? I think uh, a couple of those Alabama guys were the ones I was thinking about.
1: And Dad well, has well, always been good at keeping the Clemson kids yeah. there, too. I yeah, mean, you, absolutely. Look at D, you know, DK Kendrick would be a name I'd keep an eye on. I wonder if if he'll be able to keep him there on campus.
4: Uh, one other one would be,
1: even though I don't think he's going to, but Sean Wade,
4: it, it just yep. has not had the season uh, that y- you were hoping for. If you're Sean Wade, moving out to outside corner, and it's been such a weird year. Um, I, I mean, he could really help himself by going back and either moving to safety full time, or if he thinks the outside corner is really his future, uh, just getting better with a full off season and you know a, a more of a regular year, hopefully uh, in the 2021
1: season. Well, guys, let's wrap this segment up uh, the way we always do, and that's with our film room recap. So uh, one guy that we've studied over film in the last week. Ben, I want to come to you first. Who's a, a guy that you've studied over the last week that's kind of caught your eye? And we can open it up to seniors as well here uh, for this discussion. I know we've talked all underclassmen so far.
2: You know, I was uh, finishing up Paul Adebo at Stanford. He's a really mm-hmm. interesting player. Uh, he's a big, long corner at 6'1", 185s. He's really physical and savvy at the catch point. He plays with that kind of my ball mentality, and you see it in all the ball production anytime he's on the field, whether it's PBUs or picks or, you know, whatever he can do to get the the, the, the ball back. Definitely the size, length, combo, plays physical, is strong down the field defender. He's good in the red zone in those confined spaces. I'm just worried about his agility and his overall athleticism. He can really play in those wide open spaces. His start stop is a little clunky. Occasionally he likes to just ankle dive heavy feet on those change of directions, but he's a guy that just handles himself and handles contact really well. So I would love to see him match up against bigger receivers and even tight ends. But that last game in 2019, UCF receiver Gabriel Davis freaking torched Ripped him. Up. So, yeah, that's always left a bad impression. It wasn't his last game. I think it was earlier in the season. Yeah, it was but, early. It was like uh,
1: September, yeah.
2: That definitely uh, opened my eyes to him, and Gabriel Davis has turned into a nice pro at the Buffalo Bills. So I want to see uh, how Paulson Adebo, you know, uh, how the NFL kind of views him and where he's going to fall into the pecking order of a really interesting corner class.
1: Do you think that he could be a starter or in, like, how, how do you kind of view his projection?
2: I worry about his ability to come and start right away, but I think he's a tough player. I'm going to hopefully get hit some contributions out of special teams. He might be a guy you want to move over into safety or be more of a that nickel guy to match up against some bigger slots and tight mm-hmm. ends, and maybe not leave him on those islands outside of the numbers with you know big gazelle receivers that uh you know might be able to out twitch him for lack of better words. But he's a tough player. He's a smart player. He's an instinctual player. He's been on the field a ton out there in the Pac-12. He's a guy I would be excited if he's uh, available in, on day three. And I know people are saying, oh, you're talking about a day three corner. But that's what we do here on the journey to the draft. You know, there's a lot more than just round one. And I think guys like Paulson and Debo's are going to fill out NFL rosters. And now it's just figuring out what type of draft capital uh, should we spend on him.
1: He's a guy that I, I agree with the athletic questions, watching the film, talking with guys that have, uh, that have been through there and have played there. They'll, they'll talk the way he tests. So I kind of wonder if he might be one of those shockers when we get down to Indianapolis,
2: which we'll see. Uh, that'll be something certain. Is that a testing good or testing bad?
1: Testing good. Good. Uh, I've heard yeah. the same thing. Yeah, that's, I think that's something to, to keep an eye on there. Uh, Dane, uh, who's the guy that you've studied? Uh,
4: so De'Ami Brown from North Carolina. Hmm. Um, this kid's got some buzz. Uh, I, there's some Stefan digs to his game. Uh, when I was watching his tape, I, I got that. You know, the size, speed element is very similar. He's not as reliable as Diggs was or is. But with with Brown, his game is based on speed. A lot of slants, a lot of inside-out routes, taking advantage of that one-cut acceleration. He's got quick feet. Very fluid adjustment skills. uh, So throws behind him or above his eye level, he can come down with. Uh, He's not going to power through contact, but he still has some dynamic yak ability. Uh, I I, I think some are going to question whether or not he has the play strength. Uh, to make a living outside. But uh, there's a lot. I mean, I, I, I'm, I watched four of his games uh, of his game tapes and I'm looking down at my notes and I have a lot more pros uh, than I do cons. He's one of the better double move receivers in this draft class. So, and I think he's consistently improved his feel as a route runner. It's still not maybe the strength of his game, but he's gotten better and better. Um, and just a, a really skilled pl- uh, player using that speed, using those uh, double moves. And it, it'll do it in different ways a head jab, a uh, quick settling of his feet. So, uh, Diami Brown's really, really intriguing to me.
1: So, you talked about how he checked a lot of boxes. When I sat down to watch Ifatu Melefon move, the Syracuse corner, we talked about him a little bit earlier. I checked a lot of boxes for me. I mean, he's 6'3", 213, unique size. And he is a good athlete, not just for that size, but he is a good – he gets in and out well. He's not an explosive long strider, but I think he's got solid speed, and I think he can carry vertically. I'm going to be honest, like – and maybe it's just because I, I watched him. Ben, you and I talked about it afterwards. Watching Obi Malafonu early in his career, you saw the traits, and it was like, all right, like I, you could see this guy you know, move around. You see how big he is, how long he is. But he was always just a step slow to react. He saw lots of false stepping. He was a little bit hesitant. This guy never false steps. He's got great reaction quickness to the top of routes. Man, man coverage, zone coverage. If he's hip-pocketing from press or if he's playing from depth and off, like, he's reading everything really well. He's got the ability to finish in the air. He's a really physical take-on player in the run game. He's a good tackler. Good production as a two-year starter. I mean, he had 22 ball disruptions and 18 starts. I don't, there, there weren't a lot of things where I was like, yeah, I really, I'm, I'm really worried about what this guy's gonna be able to do at the next level. I really like the Fatu Melifonu, Uh And if it were, you guys know, I love asking our guests, uh, who's the guy that you're higher on than most, or why is this guy not getting more buzz? For me, that's Melifanu. I'm wondering why we're, why I, I kind of think by the time we get to late January into February, we'll be talking about Melifanu certainly in a higher stage than what we're talking about right now.
4: It's interesting. I, I I've only done like one and a half of his tapes, but uh, you, you see the traits. There's no question. He's tall, he's long and, and he moves. Well, um, I, I thought something that really bothered me and that w- what I saw is he, he, made way too much contact before the ball arrived. Mm. Um, I, I, that was a, but again, I, I have not seen the sample size to come up with a complete report just yet, but he's certainly intriguing. There's no doubt.
2: And just to make the clear differentiation of the two brothers, Obi, much more of a back end safety player, in my opinion, yep. was a see ball, get ball type of safety that really relied on just his natural range and athleticism. His brother, Effie, is playing corner and is a true corner. He's playing some press man. I showed you, Fran, a bunch of clips where he's playing press man with no help over the top, yep. which definitely speaks uh, to the trust they have in his his coverage ability. He can click and close and off coverage. I put on the Wake Forest tape last year where he was targeted like 15 times and battled Sage Surratt. And you could really see the length and a variety of different coverage techniques. So really interesting player. But just to make sure we uh, let the fans know that the brothers are playing different positions.
1: All right, well, let's. Uh, we talked about a bunch of players there in that segment, guys. As I always say, let's talk about three more. It's time now to go On the Clock.
2: On the Clock.
1: All right, well, it's time to welcome in Chris McPherson here to uh, be the judge and jury for our next segment here on On the Clock where uh, we have been keeping track all season long. Uh, I have the lead right now in our total tally. I've got six points. Dane's got five wins. Ben's got four This is a big one here, guys. Which prospect has helped himself most in 2020? I'm going to be honest. I'm running out of categories here and debates. So if anybody out there has some and you want to send us your way, uh, be sure to reach out to us and let us know. I don't know how many more of these I've got in the bucket, guys. So I don't want to just claim victory. So if you've got got ideas, uh, throw them my way. Today's debate, though, who has helped themselves most in 2020? Dane is going to kick things off. Ben has got second pick. I will be the caboose. I will have the third pick. Dane, I'll let you kick things off. Go for it. Make your argument. This is a loss. <laughs> <laughs> so
4: I, I was very happy to have the first pick here because no prospect has helped himself more this season than BYU Zach Wilson. Uh, and it's kind of funny that last year we said that, you know, we're never going to see a Joe Burrow like a ever again. Here we are a year later, and it's pretty close. And I'm not comparing Burrow and Wilson as players. They have very different styles, and their journeys have been very different. But both were considered fifth-round picks going into their final year, and that's assuming this is Zach Wilson's final year. Uh, He has not yet officially declared, but uh, we, we expect it to happen. Burrow ascended to the first pick based and and based on the feedback that I'm getting on Wilson, he is the favorite to be the number two quarterback off the board this year, likely in the top five picks. Uh, You know, I got a lot of quote unquote, no way that happens types of messages when I put Wilson at number two in my mock draft in November it's becoming more and more accepted that it's just a realistic possibility it's going to happen. Part of that's Justin Fields hasn't been as great, but Wilson based on his play has put himself uh, in that top five conversation. Uh, And look, it's not, he hasn't come out of nowhere. He put himself on the map as a freshman, but then last year, the biggest issue for him were the injuries Uh, teams were really taking kind of a wait and see approach with him. Uh, The nagging injuries were, were an issue last year. He came back healthy this season. He's been outstanding, uh, albeit versus unimpressive competition. But the talent has been obvious. The velocity, the understanding of ball placement, uh, the mobility where he can create off-platform. Some team in the top five, top seven picks are going to get a, a very exciting quarterback. And, you know, I, I have yet to talk to anybody who had him better than a mid-day three grade on him entering the year. So it's a monumental jump for Zach
0: Wilson. First question for you, Dane. Why did you put him all the way up at number two back in November?
4: It just felt like it was trending that way with the way he was playing with the with the talent that uh, he he showed. And it's tough because you can't do anything about the competition that he's playing this year. Uh, It's not like Joe Burrow and he's playing an SEC schedule. But when you break down his talent and the fact that he still has to make the reads, he still has to make the throws. Uh, and he's doing it and he's making these plays and doing a, a really good job at it. I mean, it just part of it is Justin Fields has not been great this year. Part of it is Trey Lance. You've only seen him once. Zach Wilson has been that next uh, that next quarterback. And when I you know, talk to teams around the league, uh, a lot of teams are saying Wilson's the guy and they would not hesitate to draft him you know, top five, top seven picks.
0: So you said that he showed talent promise as a freshman was the yep. big question coming into this year. The injury, was it just a matter of, could he stay healthy and put together a full season?
4: Right. Because last year in last year he had games against like Washington, USC, uh, you know, like a better uh, sample size against better competition. And he was a little up and down, but a big part of that was the nagging injuries. And, you know, it's, It's really weird dynamic with BYU because they had uh, just a murderer's row of competition on their schedule originally, but then COVID happens and they lose everybody and I had to patch together a schedule and none of them are are power five teams. And so uh, nothing you can do about that, but teams are still very impressed with the natural talent. That he shows. And so I don't think that the the lack of uh, having competition on the on his resume tape is going to stop him from being a, a very, very high draft pick.
2: See, Mac, all you had to do is put on the tape last year. You saw the wow. You saw the potential and the ability. I saw him in person at Tennessee. Then the next week against USC back to back overtime wins. You know, we can't lead every scout to water here. You know, sometimes it's just a little flash and you got to let that grow into what he can be. And I thought he showed you a lot in 2019. It wasn't as easy to see as it is in 2020, which is obviously a pretty easy assessment and why he's in the top five now. But, you know, the, uh, the ones that really dug into his play and saw between all the smoke screens of BYU's 2019, which didn't always go great. But you saw the excellence just kind of squeak through, and you had to catch it at the right time. Well, right. Ben, if you were in last year's class,
4: last year's draft, where do you think you would have been drafted?
2: Well, you know, well, who I mean, who's to say with Herbert and Tua and Joe Burrow? You know, it's, I don't like to live in the past, team. so you know, it's we can we can never know. Um, he probably would have been in the, in the mix there, you know, um, but. <laughs> I
1: will uh, say that, I mean, Ben came on after seeing him twice in two weeks and both weeks was like, hey, we, we got to keep an eye on the Mormon Manzel, the Mormon Manzel, the Mormon Manzel." So, yeah. uh, you know, that was last last fall here on the Journey of the Draft podcast.
4: Yeah, it's not, it's not like he's just come out of nowhere. He he was, I remember as a freshman, people yep. were talking about him. But I, again, I have yet to talk to anybody around the league or or elsewhere who really thought, uh, oh, he's, he's definitely going to be a top four
2: round guy in, in this class. I mean, I think what he's done this year, has really put them on a rocket ship, but CMAC. I mean, I mean Steve Young and McMahon and Ty Detmer and John Beck and Max Hall. It's just a factory out there. You know, you can trust BYU Cougars putting pro quarterbacks <laughs> into the league. It just is what it's what they do. It's what they do.
0: I was going to say John Beck on that list too. I believe so.
2: <laughs> Digging hard in my pocket for that one. No, in the know. last
0: twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. I I will say to help Dane's case. You know, you think about those. As soon as the one draft ends, you got the instant mock draft and everyone had Trevor Lawrence going number one, Justin Fields probably number two, Trey Lance in the mix. I, I don't I don't have it in front of me. You know, if someone can dig one up and disprove that Zach Wilson was not in the conversation, I'm all for it. But uh, Ben, you're on the clock now.
2: Well, we're going to change positions here. We're going to go over to Alabama receiver Devontae Smith, who's had one of the most prolific seasons in college football history at the receiver position. Just like Dane said, never thought we'd have another season like Joe Burrow at the quarterback position. We didn't think we'd have another season like Jamar Chase until the very next calendar year. And it seems like we've all forgotten about Jamar Chase's prolific season, but you have to reflect on where we've been with Devontae Smith. And in last year's draft class with the who's who of CD lambs and uh, you know, Jerry Judy's and Ruggs and you know, even the day two guys like Sanal and Jalen Rieger going in the first round. I don't know where Devontae Smith's going in that group. I don't know if he's a draftable guy last year, you know, getting caught in the mix with all those receivers. So you turn the page to 2020 no Jerry Judy, no Henry Ruggs, no Tua a top 10 quarterback. Yeah, Mac Jones. And you got to split reps with Jalen Waddle. Suddenly he's the guy and we lose Waddle. He's even more the guy on doing this all with Mac Jones. he has been on a meteoric rise in 2020 from from a potentially unknown receiver into a top five you know, lock in this year's draft class. So, you know, just watching him grow in this journey from, you know, just unknown buried on the depth chart of Alabama into the player he is today has been very exciting. And sure, did he leave Alabama receiving last year? Yeah, he might have. But see, mac don't look at the box score. Don't, you know, box score scout. I know you're better than that. Trust me when I say it. He has improved and helped himself the most in 2020.
0: Uh, Daniel Smirkin. Well, pe-
2: people can't see this because there, there a lot of people are, you know, they're <laughs> listening.
4: Ben couldn't get through that with a straight face. I mean, he, he's, he's grinning, was uh, casting and reeling
2: over here. Casting <laughs> and reeling.
1: I mean, the big thing that, uh, you know, when I think about Devonte Smith and how he's helped himself is that when Jamar chase opted out in August, the three of us sat here and we were like, yeah, I mean, he's the number one receiver. There's nothing else he can do. No one's going to overtake him. And now I would say the majority of mock drafts have Devonte Smith ahead of Jamar chase. Um, and so that, to me, is proof that Devontae Smith has really, really helped himself with what he's done this year.
4: Ben, you owe Fran for making a better argument than you did. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that fast, too. That was impressive.
0: <laughs> Dane, where where is uh, Devontae Smith in, in your mock draft? He's number two
4: behind uh, Jamar uh, Chase, but he is significantly higher than uh, what we thought over the summer. I mean, in, in the summer, it was, okay, maybe he's – Top 25, uh, you know, uh, but now he's uh, top 10 and I had him slotted to the Eagles at number
2: six. But the real question is, Dane, where does he go in the 2020 class? Because I think he's probably somewhere between Van Jefferson and Denzel Mims in that late round two, if looking back. And he was a guy that barely scratched your top 60 before the 2019 season. I think he was 52 at of 60 then. So a guy that was just barely cracking that uh, second round love from you.
4: Yeah, but uh, by the time the draft came around, he would have been in the first round. He was considered a first rounder if he came out last year.
0: Ben, you said he was undraftable. <laughs> he did say that.
2: It depends who you ask. You said he was <laughs> undraftable. You know. Come on. Yeah, he smoked, <laughs> he smoked Derek Stingley, but we had to, you know, mess with the pre-snap manipulation and the timing and stuff. He didn't do it in a normal fashion. And...
0: <laughs> T- Trying to sound like you like, never played college football. And, like, all of a sudden, 2020, of all the oddities...
2: We get
1: Devontae
0: Smith.
2: Alabama lucked know. into that talent. They just fell right into it. Oh, boy.
1: Fran, save me. All right, well, let's, uh, let's stay in the SEC here, guys. And I'm going to go over to Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. Keep in mind, shortened SEC year, right? So, 11 games for the Florida Gators. He was injured for a couple of them, all right? So, he actually only played in eight games. c in eight games, Kyle Pitts, a tight end, 43 catches, 770 yards, 12 Touchdowns. Those numbers would be uh, would be eye-popping for a normal college football schedule if he played 12, 13, 14 games. He played eight and put those numbers up in an SEC-only schedule. So he is the shoe in this year for the Mackey Award, top tight end in college football. But C-Mac, he is the first tight end in college football history to be named a finalist for the Fred Belitnikoff Award as the top receiver in college football, what he has done this year is remarkable from a tight end perspective. So we've seen the story of quarterback, you know, Dane mentioned that quarterback, oh, like Joe Burrow you know, came out of nowhere last year, rags to riches story, rah, rah, rah. We saw that the year before. Kyler Murray was a, was a backup and went from 0 to 100 and went to begin the first overall pick. Baker Mayfield was a two-time walk-on and went from seventh-round pick to first overall pick. Carson Wentz was an FCS kid that no one knew was a second overall pick. Like, we've seen this story before at the quarterback position time and time and time again. We don't see this at tight end. We don't see a guy vault himself into the top 10 of NFL draft just since 2000. So two decades, sample size. Six guys have gone in the top 15. So you would say, all right, you feel pretty good he's going to go top t- top 15. Dude, Kyle Pitts might go top five. He might go top six, top seven. He's going to be the, the chic pick to the Cincinnati Bengals to pair with Joe Burrow now that they're picking at fifth overall. Only three guys have cracked in the single digits. Kellen Winslow in 2004, Vernon Davis in 2006, and then TJ Hawkinson did it a couple years ago in 2019. You're talking about uncharted waters for a tight end. Putting up crazy production in a limited season, and then also you know dueling out for the top receiver in, in college football, along with Devonte Smith. To me, I look at what Kyle Pitts has done and say this guy has helped himself more than anybody. Especially when you keep into context the position that he plays and how he's being viewed, you know, up here versus all other tight ends in NFL draft history.
2: So where'd you have him before the season?
1: I did. I did him in the season to me, or in the off season. Oh, the, the I, had, old, I
2: haven't studied him.
1: Yeah, no, I, no, I, studied, I studied him. He's off I, my board. Dude, I studied him and I thought, okay, like maybe we're looking at a, a potential Evan Ingram at some point. Like, all right, like maybe he's late first round. Maybe, maybe, but that, that was not taking into account this production. I didn't, I didn't anticipate him to have the season that he did. And now, like I said, he's going to be a lock top 10. I didn't view it was a lock top 10. I did I, I I'm not going to sit here and say he was undraftable like others, uh, but I will say that uh, I felt that he was a, a potential, you know, m- maybe he's a first round guy, but now, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a lock for the top 10.
4: Wow. I lock. Can I tweet that? A lock for the top 10. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I think think
1: that's fair. I
2: think that's fair right now. I think you mocked him 18th in like your mock draft right after the 2020 draft or somewhere in the summer. You had a mid one. So pushing him up in the top 10 isn't the craziest of rises. No,
1: Dane's always ahead of the board on everybody. So like (laughs) that's not doesn't shock me.
4: In my preseason top 50, he was number 11 for me. So, I mean, I. It's not a to me. It's not a shock to see him possibly go in the top ten. The talent's worth it. I and mean, the, the coaches call him a unicorn because this guy is rare. Uh, in my mock draft I, I, that I did uh, over the weekend, just a quick top ten, I had him going five to the Bengals. So there's no question he is a supreme talent who helped himself with what he did this year. But again, I think he moved up five six spots. You know, for just in my opinion, I, I don't think he made a monumental leap up the boards. Like we've seen from Zach Wilson. Well, before
2: we send this to the jury, the one man jury of C Mac, who else is in this conversation of meteoric rises? Mac, Mac Jones obviously seems to be the next name. I would say uh Jeremiah Wusakoromoa
1: from Notre Dame. I would probably say Call.
2: I'm surprised Zayven neither Collins, of you guys know with David Collins. Yep. Uh the linebacker at Tulsa. I mean, Davion Nixon's getting first round love, and uh, I'm sure he wasn't even a name in some prospect sheets. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's another good one. Uh Aziz Ajaleri is another yeah, that's one.
4: That's a good one.
1: That might be it. Uh, there, are, there, are, yeah. there were many names that I say like we could that could really make the argument for. This is a tough one. This is a very tough one. It's a fun one. I, I thought didn't a week
0: ago did Kyle Trask have no help there in Florida? Oh, that's that wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, that
1: was the that was the uh, that was the uh, the cop yeah. out for Dan. Was that a wide no receiver? Yeah.
0: Even though Dane rattled off, you know, Kadarius Tony and everyone else who's going to end up being
2: drafted, <laughs> but not, nonetheless, <laughs> you know. I hit um, mute when he starts talking. I don't know what's coming out of their, <laughs> their mouths. Sorry, I, just, I can't keep up.
0: Oh, this is see. You, you know what? It's it's been funny because you know, like Kyle Pitts. I didn't know it before the season, but and so Fran's argument off the bat was like real strong. So I'm like this guy comes out of nowhere. He's a finals for the Blitnickoff. Then you guys are like he's a he was t- he was eleven on my board. He was, he was playing like Archbishop Wood.
2: Take the boys to a high school game around here from <laughs> Philly. You know, so we'll we'll
0: toss that out. Um We'll go so between Dane and ben I, I mean Zach Wilson I mean Dane, you said yourself as a freshman, he was on people's radars you know yeah, on
4: the on the radar as as a guy to watch as a guy to <laughs> keep an eye on, sure, but
0: as a quarterback
4: top, <laughs> top five pick a top five pick no, no one was talking about him as a if anybody finds a first round mock from anywhere between, before September with Zach Wilson on it, please send it in, please. there's one out there somewhere. No way. Maybe maybe Zach Wilson's brother. That's it. That's it.
0: There's so many mock drafts out there. Someone, someone's probably going to have it. And then, and then with Ben, it's like, you know, a guy guy who leads Alabama receiving yards, oh, he'll just go unnoticed in, in the process. You know, it's, that's not going to count for anything. Oh, this is a tough one, tough one, tough one, tough one. Uh, i will going to give it to Ben this week. I'll go Devontae Smith. The fact that everyone everyone thinks that you know Jamar Chase with the lock for number one and <laughs> a receiver, Devontae Smith has a chance, I, I feel feel cheap using Devontae Smith two weeks in a row as the Heisman winner and as the meteoric rise guy, but. Uh, yeah, that'll be my pick. So. That's, a, that's a pity vote right there. <laughs> no, <there's
1: laughs> that's no that's, that's what that is. Oh, we have, we, have, we do have to decide how many more of these we've got in the canister because it's a it's a tight one. It's now a, a one-point race uh, with you guys tied uh, second place and me one point ahead, but we'll do that offline. Uh, guys, this was fun. C-Mac, thanks once again for joining us. Ben, Dane, we'll talk to you guys later.
2: Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag.
1: Well, great stuff there from Ben, from Dane, from C-Mac. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, that debate there in our On the Clock segment. Let's wrap this one up with our draft mailbag. We've got a great one here. Scouts doubt left a five-star review. Quick little Eagles mock draft. First round. LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. That's going to be a popular target uh, for Eagles fans and, and with media uh, in mock drafts for sure. Big, big fan of Jamar Chase and what he will bring to the NFL. Second round, you're going to go D.K. Kendrick, who you remember the discussion we had earlier in the show with uh, about Darius Slade. Toolsy corners, a little bit lack of experience. That's kind of what you're looking at here with D.K. Kendrick. He's got a lot of traits that you're looking for, just limited experience on that side of the ball. But what can he be down the road? You're going to have that discussion a lot with D.K. Kendrick, a former receiver recruit coming out of of high school when he first got to Clemson. Third round, a couple of picks here, two players that I love. First, you've got Najee Harris, the Alabama running back, extremely productive, really physical runner, instinctive runner, can win in a lot of different ways. Love Najee Harris. Really love him in the third round. So we like that fit there. Scouts doubt. Alec Lindstrom, the talented center from Boston College. Only a redshirt sophomore. Has not declared yet. We don't know if he's going to declare. My guess, if he were, he might go a little bit higher than this in the third round. So I love the value there uh, with you getting Lindstrom there in round three. We're going to round this out. A couple of picks here. Ben Cleveland, the interior offensive lineman from Georgia. Ardarius Washington, the safety from TCU. And then Josh Job from Alabama. I think you're looking at Cleveland as a kind of a plug-and-play, dirty work player on the interior. Probably more of a backup than a starter. Um, but really good uh, mock draft there, Scott Stout. hope you uh, you know continue to send those in. Really appreciate everybody that continues to throw your mock draft up on our Apple Podcast page. As we get going here, we're going to, have to start doing more and more of these podcasts. So that means more and more room for your guys' comments, your questions, and your mocks. So just go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment with your question or your mock draft. We'll hit on it here on the show. That being said, we'll be back a little bit later this week. We've got a fun one brewing for later this week. Ben Fennel, Ross Tucker, and a special guest, as always. We'll t- catch you later this week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.